Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening, where we are set to wrap up our reflections on chapter 20 and get into Genesis chapter 21. I have received a number of uh, questions, observations that I certainly will get into here this evening as we go through uh, these verses in chapter 21. But before I do that, I just wanted to make an observation. (laughs) Yesterday, I was in an office, and in this office was a number of different books. I couldn't help but notice that there were a couple of Bibles, and there was a bunch of stuff just placed on these Bibles, random objects. And I got to thinking to myself, first of all, do I just put my Bible anywhere? (laughs) Do I reverence my Bible? Is my Bible in a sacred place? Is my Bible in a place where I can turn to and go to and meditate with? And second, how should we treat those things that are closest to our heart? I mean, imagine if you had a gold nugget right, or something of great value. Would you just throw it in a bin or a basket with a bunch of other stuff? to just sit there and collect dust. I know so many commentaries have been given about blowing the dust off your Bible, right, and reading it. But what about just reverencing your Bible, putting it in a sacred place? Because, my friends, I don't think that we would take those things that we hold most dear, and it doesn't even have to be a gold bar or a diamond ring, per se. It can be something as a family album, right? You you hold those up, or a picture that's close to your heart. You frame it, you mat it, and you put it on the wall. And in doing so, you reverence that picture. Do we reverence the Bible, or are we careless? Putting, as I saw, a bowl, an eaten bowl of cereal on top of the Bible. This is not how the Bible is to be treated. You know, I did raise this with one particular individual, and, and he said to me, well, you don't want to know what? I don't even pick up the Bible anymore. I just read it on my iPhone. Great, read the Bible on the iPhone. But even then, that's not an excuse to not reverence the Bible. This is the inspired Word of God. Alongside of, of the Eucharist and the sacramental life, this is the gift of all gifts. And I think we need to renew, rediscover, if you will, a deeper sense of what it means to reverence the Bible. Please, please reverence the Bible. And hey, as I speak to this, I challenge myself. I have my own office at my house, and I've got a lot of books, and I have a lot of pins and pads and whatnot, but I try to make a point to set my Bible aside, and I should say Bibles aside, to make sure that it's being reverenced, and not set aside to collect dust, but set aside to open up as I glance over to see that holy Bible. And that's another thing. When you have it out in the open, you're going to be reminded to open up the Bible. You just might be inspired. The Holy Spirit desires you to open up the Bible. 
You can go to your iPhones, you can go to your iPads, it's fine, but there's something to be said about opening up the Bible. And it's just not the traditionalist in me or the the old-fashioned sense of what it means to read the Bible. No, there's something altogether unique about picking up a book, and that book being the Bible, that draws you deeper into God working in salvation history. You know, you can go to your iPhone and, and read, say, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 to 17, whatever it is that you're set to read. But to do so within the larger context of the whole Bible, to just turn a few pages or a hundred pages, there's something about that. So please, in this opening monologue, if you will, what I want you to appreciate is the importance of reverencing the Bible and giving yourself the opportunity to just grab it, open it up, and be led by the Holy Spirit to be inspired by the Word of God. Okay? All right, let us now go to the book of Genesis. And I thought what we could do this evening is, again, wrap up our discussion in chapter 20, talk about a couple things, and then in principle get into chapter 21 and the birth of Isaac and Hagar and Ishmael being sent away. As it relates to Genesis chapter 20, we did read about Abimelech's dream. Now, last Thursday, I responded to a question from you about the nature of dreams and and does God work in dreams? Well, here in Genesis chapter 20, certainly we see God working in dreams, do we not? I mean, my friends, in biblical tradition, dreams are important channels of divine communication. And as such, as we are reminded that while the Bible is not a history book, it has history in it, God has worked in and through dreams in history, right? So something to be present to. We see in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, as I highlighted last week, that through these dreams, what does the Lord do? He issues warnings and instructions. He reveals His glory and blessings, and certainly He gives prophetic insights into the future. Joseph, but also Daniel, He gives them the gift of interpreting dreams, interpreting uh, symbols and, and signs and, and what they mean. God works in dreams. And in Genesis chapter 20, verses 3 to 7, certainly he is issuing Abimelech a clear warning. Have you ever had a dream where you wake up and in some way, shape, or form, it is in your stream of consciousness that God just gave you a warning? Sometimes, yes, we need a spiritual director, a mentor of sorts, to help us better understand how God is working in our life, and sometimes that includes what might be going on in our dreams. God uses dreams, my friends. But other times, it's pretty obvious. As I shared last week, I've had a few occasions in my own life where I, I don't need someone to tell me what something means. It's pretty clear. It's pretty clear. So, Appreciate the dynamism of dreams. Huh? Appreciate the forcefulness, the gentle forcefulness of dreams. Now, I got a question about verse 12 yesterday as well. Chapter 20, verse 12. Besides, she is indeed my sister, Abraham says, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So here, yeah, <laughs> Abraham and Sarah have the same biological father, but what does he say? not the same mother. Now, the patriarch plays this up. Why? Well, for his own protection. Now, we have to appreciate timing-wise as far as what was prohibited 
and what was allowed. Prohibitions against marriages between close relatives did not arise until the Torah was given to Israel, as we read in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 11. Culturally speaking, 4,000 years later, we see this differently. But even as we get into the text itself, as, as you ask me about this, was this okay? Well, technically speaking, it wasn't until the Torah was given to Israel that it was uh, prohibited. All right, so with that, if you want to take your Bibles out, if you don't already have them out, and turn to chapter 21, and I will go ahead and read verses 1 to 14. 1 to 14. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. A hundred years old. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would suckle children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, remember her? <laughs> Whom she had borne to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. She said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the lad and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For though Isaac shall your descendants be named, and I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandering in the wilderness of Beersheba. Okay. So let us just go to this opening verse. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God has spoken to him. Brothers and sisters, our God is a God, a Father who keeps his promises. God says what he means and means what he says. He follows through. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Remember, I told you I would do this, although you doubted me. Right? God isn't up there saying, I told you so. But he's just gently reminding them that he's a father who keeps his promises. I told you I would do what I said. Trust me. Let this follow through be a witness of, of my fatherhood. I mean, let's apply this to our own lives and maybe consider the times in which God has come through for us. And yet, although he has come through for us, we doubt him later. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. Here I'm thinking of the splitting of the Red Sea to free the Israelites. It wasn't soon thereafter, although God just opened up this large body of water. I mean, I don't know what more you need. They were doubting him. They were grumbling. Oh, human nature is so fickle, my friends. Human nature suffers from myopia, <laughs> nearsightedness, right? We all suffer from that. 
We need to pray for the gift that is a beautiful and profound grace that is faith. And once we have received that gift of faith, we then act upon that faith. And the more we act upon that faith, and remember, trust is the most concrete act and virtue of faith, the more we act on that faith, the more we trust in God, the more we will build up our relationship with God and respond to situations differently. Maybe we won't be grumbling. Maybe we won't doubt. Maybe we won't question as we see so many of these figures question God. Sarah was scratching her head, right? What do you mean I'm going to bear a son? Rightfully so. I mean, I get it. I get it. We all get it, I'm sure. And so here I reflect upon this because we ought to be reminded that God is a father who keeps his promises. All right, what else here? Well, what about verse 4? And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Uh, Remember what he said in Genesis chapter 17, we read a few weeks ago. If you were to go to chapter 17, verses 9 to 14, what do you see there? God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which shall keep, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Drop down to verse 12. He that is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he that is born in your house and he that is bought with your money shall be circumcised. Shall be circumcised. Okay, so why the eighth day? Why the eighth day? Well, before we respond to that question, I think it would be important to just consider the importance of the Word of God as the inspired Word of God. Because in responding to the eighth day, it would be helpful to remember that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. I mean, the faith of each individual Christian rests upon this bedrock truth that the Bible is inspired. If you were to think about it, if the Bible is of human origin, then it logically follows that the facts and doctrines found therein are only reliable as what? As human knowledge can be reliable. Consequently, it is just not written by a human author, but at the same time, God himself, as those human authors are divinely inspired. Because if the biblical records were then also provided by the Holy Spirit, as 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 to 21 reminds us, then we have every reason to believe that the facts and doctrines recorded in sacred scripture are free of those human imperfections, uh, human blemishes, if you will, that characterizes all human efforts. Incidentally, my friends, the Greek word for inspiration is theotneostas. Theotneostas. It has two roots. Theos, which translates as what but God, and neostos, breathed, right? Uh, to blow or to breathe is its root. So theotneostas literally translates as what? But God breathed. God breathed. So the word implies an influence from without. 
if you will, producing effects that are beyond natural powers, beyond human efforts. And so here it might help to to consider this in light of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is fully human, fully divine. Just as Jesus Christ is fully human and fully divine, so is the Word of God fully human and fully divine. So what does this bring to light? That men wrote what God directed without errors or mistakes. Yet the personalities of the men were not lost, right? The the cultural milieu of who the evangelist was writing to was not lost. This is why we always interpret the Bible just not in the spiritual sense, the divine sense, but also the literal sense, the human sense, the historical sense, that sense which considers all that surrounded the first century author. And so why is all this important? Well, in some cases, sometimes there are just things that the the human authors cannot account for. And there's something that we have discovered today as it relates to the eighth day, and there's many theological reasons for the eighth day, but I want to kind of focus in on one that had me thinking about the importance of inspiration, and what do I mean? Well, consider. I mean, God is attentive to the detail. God is is attentive to the detail, for sure. And this, again, is response to, to why the eighth day. One Dr. Ayala Abrahamov, a senior professor of pediatrics at the Faculty of Medicine at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, noted this about the eighth day. So this is what he has to say, Just and pay close attention to what's going on here. The system of blood clotting or coagulation depends on certain types of proteins, called platelets, which are produced by the liver. These materials known by the Roman numerals 1 to 13, work in sequence together with various enzymes until a stable clot is formed. In the first days after birth, the liver is not yet developed enough to survive any surgical operations, which could cause massive bleeding and lead to the death of the newborn, whose body simply does not have the ability to stop the blood flow on its own. Physiologically, until the eighth day, the liver slowly develops, until on the eighth day itself, it is mature enough to fulfill its role to create the clots necessary to stop the bleeding. In other words, my friends, only on the eighth day of life do blood clotting substances reach their all-time high, well beyond the amount that will accompany a, a normal human being for the rest of his life. So you ask why the eighth day? We are created in the image and likeness of God, which means Everything about us is created in the image and likeness of God. All that is physiological is created in the image and likeness of God. Now, we may not have had this science 2,000 years ago, or for that matter, 4,000 years ago. But as we have it today, we can look back and we say, well, God knew. God was the first scientist. huh? God was the first scientist. And certainly there's other theological reasons that I've gotten into in the past as it relates to the eighth day. We're not going to get into all that now, but it is enough to say here that as we are reminded that the Word of God is inspired, as it is inspired, it is attentive to all the details, right? All the details of life. All right, all that being said, there was another question that came to me from this passage, and it was more of a request, can you speak to the significance of Jesus being circumcised on the eighth day? and its relationship to Christianity and Catholicism? Well, it's a great question. 
We read in Luke chapter 1, verse 59, uh, that the son was circumcised on the eighth day in obedience to the law, right? In obedience to the Torah. This would have us taking a step back and just appreciating more topically the covenants, the evolution of covenants and salvation history. Uh, what do I mean? Well, if you were to take a broader look at how God worked in salvation history, what you would see is that God's family, as he himself is family, expanded in human history. Take, for example, Adam and Eve, God's first covenant with man. How many were a part of that covenant? But two. What was the next covenant? But Noah and his household, Noah and his wife, their three sons and their three wives. So God's covenant family got bigger. It went from two, a marriage covenant, to eight, a household covenant. What was the next covenant? Well, what have we been reading about? But Abraham, this tribal covenant. So it moves from a marriage covenant to a household covenant to a tribal covenant. The next major covenant is Moses. It's a national covenant. No longer a tribe, but now a nation, the nation of Israel. And so is the next covenant that, that God makes with man through Jesus Christ, that great international covenant? No, not yet. Because there's a very important covenant between Moses and Jesus. And who's that? But David. What do we read in 2 Samuel 7, verses 10 to 17? But this great covenant made with David. And in that covenant is a promise where God said to David, through this covenant, through your line, I will be with you for 300 years, 400 years, 500 years. No, for all eternity, for all eternity, through your line, I will be with you for all eternity. This is why the gospel of Matthew, time and time again, highlights Jesus as what? The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lamb of God, all of those are important titles, very important titles. But for Matthew, he wanted to emphasize Jesus as the Son of David, this great kingdom covenant. And I emphasize kingdom covenant, why? Because kingdoms rule nations. God's covenant family continues to expand. It goes from a marriage to a household to a tribe to a nation to a kingdom to what is international universal. Oh, by the way, my friends, the word Catholic, katoholike in the Greek, literally translates as international or universal. What is international or what is universal? Yeah, God's church, but more specifically, his covenant, which he sealed in his blood and we receive in the Eucharist. So you ask the question, what's the relationship between the eighth day, and, and why would Jesus be circumcised? Well, he was obedient to the law. He was a faithful Jew. And we must remember, my friends, Judaism is the parent to every Christian church because Judaism is a part of our family tree. But as Christians and as Catholics, we believe the fullness of Judaism is fulfilled in the great international covenant. And this fulfillment comes in the salvific blood of Jesus Christ. So he takes all of the covenants and he perfects it, he transforms it, and at once invites us into it. And by it, I mean the very sacramental life of the church. So he's obedient to the law, and on the cross we see him transforming the law. 
perfecting law and at once instituting a new church, a church that is universal. Gentile, Jew, Greek alike, we read in John, are people called to the supper table of the Lamb. Amen? Amen. Gosh, today went by fast. I'm looking up at the clock. I'm right of time already. How did that happen? All right. Well, there's a number of other things I wanted to talk about. Um, just by way of footnote, because I was asked about the laughing and Hagar, is there a relationship there? There actually is. If you were to go to verse 9, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian whom she had born to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. Uh, the Hebrew word for playing also means laughing or even laughing at. Uh, Paul will later interpret this as an act of persecution. He's being mocked for being chosen. Uh, so there's, there is a word play there for the person out there who was wondering about that. Uh, anyhow, we will wrap up our discussion on chapter 21 next week. I am grateful for this time that we had both yesterday and today to talk about these very rich verses that are before us. Again, as I noted yesterday, please send me your emails. Please send me your observations. You know, what is it about this most recent treatment of Genesis, this most recent reading of Genesis that has touched you? Uh, with your permission, I would love to take your reflections to air. I think it would benefit uh, our listening audience. You know, I, I look at my feed and I see there's thousands of listeners all across the world, and I know you send me your questions and you send me your observations, but I want, I want to hear from you in maybe some more detail. If you're willing to share, I can only at best offer up an invitation. Okay, with that, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.